HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, taping here at robertaspizza.com in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in their lovely backyard stevedore uh, studio. Here today with kind of like the Mount Rushmore of graphic designers in New York in regards to the restaurant industry, Matteo Bologna, Douglas Riccardi, and Luis Feely. Um, I'm just going to go off and tell you a little bit about their client list. Uh, Douglas has done Mary Batali's Molto Gusto cookbook, Italian Grill, Babo cookbook, Molto Italiano, done the overall design, uh, graphic menus, etc. for Pizzeria Mozza, Hale and Hearty Soup, Schnippers, uh, even the dear to my heart and uh, departed Florent. Um, Matteo Bologna from Mucca Design pretty much has branded most of Keith McNally's Empire, Balthazar Pastis, Morandi has also worked uh, with Brooklyn Fair, the beautiful Chanterelle cookbook, which is one of my favorites in the last couple of years, and Japanese Brasserie, St. Ambrose, Andre Blas's The Standard, and most of the Patina Group, uh, which is a large restaurant group operated by Nick Valtini and Chef Joaquim Splichal. Um, Louis Feely is branded for Sarah Beth's, Irving Farm, Late July, Tate's, Williams-Sonoma, American Spoon, uh, Help Rebrand Good Housekeeping, Tiffany & Co., uh, done restaurants such as Foglia, Artisanal, Picheline, Mermaid Inn, The Harrison, Chiquito, Tocqueville, Porterhouse, Il Molino, just to name a few. <laughs> so aside from that, it's almost easier to do this as a process of elimination show as to what you all have not designed. Um, <laughs> but we're going to start with actually what, is graphic design, not as a necessarily overall umbrella statement, but what is graphic design relative to restaurants and food in New York? Um, they're, pointing, they're pointing at you, Louis. I don't know why, <laughs> but I'll try to answer the question. Because you speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. Um, 
graphic design for for food in particular is is all about just making it appetizing. Uh, no, a lot of people don't realize that the the first indicator you'll get of a restaurant, whether you're uh, walking by the the actual restaurant or looking on the the website, is the logo, and the logo has to be appetizing. It has to give some kind of clue as to what is going on, or nobody's going to bother to go any further. Yeah, that's what my cab driver told me <laughs> when we arrived here at Roberta's, where he said, "Is this a restaurant? <laughs> Are you sure it's the right place?" So, I mean, even looking at Roberta's, driving up to here. What about it, you know, in your mind, would you have initially changed? What kind of concept behind the, you know, script? Um, what did it make you think it was? It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of what Louise said. Yeah. But <laughs> well, we're in Bushwick. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so I was giving the Manhattan version of Yeah, exactly. because, uh, sorry. I, I think a huge sign outside neon and an awning and everything that you would want to do in Manhattan would be 100% wrong here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. I mean, you do not see red. You do not see script. You do not even see a person's name if it's not and Sons or Anne Co. in this area of Bushwick. So, yeah. Um, yeah maybe you should describe, too, how is the, the place outside? Oh, um, you mean like gray Armageddon? I mean, yeah. it is. <laughs> the facade of the building. Yeah. It really um, doesn't look like a restaurant. No, uh, we call it, it it's distressed, distressed, you know. Yes. <laughs> but not distressed in the sense that we aren't having fun here. Having but, you know, time. Florent always had this theory that if you want to open a successful restaurant, the last place you'd want to put it is on Park Avenue. If you say, I went to a restaurant on Park Avenue, people are like, I could care less. But if you say, I went to a restaurant in Bushwick, all of a sudden people are like, hey, I got to try that because, you know, it's off the beaten track. Yeah. Yes. Or, or Madison Avenue, exactly. for that matter. Madden Wherever. Madden, except, yeah. That's why the meat market in 1985, when they opened, was so attractive because it was, no one ever went there. Yeah, yeah he was a pioneer. It was great. And did you meet Florent uh, when he opened up the restaurant? Mm, uh, a couple of years later, actually. Yeah, and... I mean, was it a draw for you? Did you go there to meet him and to, you know, uh, eat at the restaurant? Or did you go to him because you thought he was an absolutely amazing and smart client? I actually met him because he was a client of the place where I was working. So it was sort of a marriage, an arranged marriage. But um, no, I, I didn't actually seek him out. Yeah, yeah. And what were some of the first clients that you guys had in New York? Um, I think Louise and I were talking that I think I, I win the longevity award because <laughs> yes. 1986 I was working at Emma Company and we did China Grill which was you know the boom of the super uber restaurant design years in New York City and China Grill 1986 was the first client I ever had Excellent. and what other restaurants at that time were part of that similar boom that whole oh god, they're all gone now. Exactly, Odeon was is there actually still yeah, around. Yeah, Odeon's still right. around. That might have actually predated even uh, yes. China Grill. Yes, it did. Um, that whole slew of West Broadway Soho places that were popping up, you know, every it seems like every five minutes another one came and went. Yeah, and Luis uh, Mateo, what were some of your first restaurant clients in New York? Hmm. Well, my very first one was uh, for a restaurant called Prefix. Uh, which then became uh, the same client, but then it became a couple of other restaurants. He would get bored with with one name and concept and and go to another, but it was fine for me because I could keep redesigning the logos. <laughs> so that became Flatiron Diner, and then it became Metropole, and then now it's uh, Cupcake Cafe, which is fine. Um, but yeah, and Matteo, yours was um, I moved in United States from Italy 
94 and my first restaurant was Pravda, Pravda. which was actually mm-hmm. a bar restaurant. Yeah. And um, Pravda is one of Keith McNally's restaurants. Yes. If I'm right. And how did you initially hook up with him and then, you know, eventually design his whole empire? I knew the au pair of his partner. <laughs> and they needed a graphic designer. Yeah. Seek out those au pairs <laughs> exactly. if you're a starving graphic designer yes. in New York. And uh, so I got a an very interview. very selection process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got an interview with them. And thank God this partner was speaking. Is She's from Germany. And therefore her English was more similar to mine. I was able to understand what she was telling me. That's the truth. And Keith was speaking with me. And I couldn't understand a single <laughs> word. I mean, my English, I, I just moved here and I didn't speak a word of English. And I really couldn't understand anything. I was just nodding and looking at her in her eyes, trying to hope that she would translate what yeah. I was saying. I don't know why I got the job. So you may have misinterpreted Pravda, Balthazar, Pestis as other words, yes, and they yes, just became yes, infamous thought, like this. Yeah, yeah, I thought they were South African restaurants, <laughs> yeah. <or> Mexican restaurants. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's interesting that you say coming from Italy in 94, because um, I also was reading in, I believe it was a print magazine's food issue last year, that Luis, you said a lot of your cooking is inspired by Italian. Um, do cooking and your backgrounds influence the way you design for specific restaurants i don't cook yeah (laughs) Uh, but you're italian sometimes i follow recipes but you know i was eating because my mother was cooking that's it i'm a terrible cook yeah (laughs) no for me it's very important I, i i came from a background of publishing i was art director of pantheon books and i did lots and lots and lots of book jackets which i love doing but um, after a, over a decade of doing that, I realized it was time to start my own studio so I could focus on my three passions. I'm a pretty quick study. Food, type, and Italy. So, <laughs> so that's why it was, it was great that I could find a, a way to do this with restaurants and then later in food packaging. Yeah, and Douglas, do you have a cooking background? Do you have a- I, I come from a very strong Italian-American family that, you know, spends 90% of its life worrying about what they're going to eat at their next meal. <laughs> so um, it's only natural that 90% of my clients are have the same sort of obsession. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, a couple of you spawn outside of that Italian, you know, genre. Um, I mean, there's – and brasserie for Matteo. And then, I mean, Tate's is UK-based. And then, Douglas, you may be right. You're almost 90% Italian. But Hale and Hearty Soup seems more like a, a Yeah, Schnippers is obviously yeah, not Italian Schnippers. at all. Yeah. And how do you approach those clients that don't necessarily have that Italian ethnicity uh, in but, their business? I mean, the weird thing is, like, in, in America, people think that there is a, an Italian style. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go to a restaurant in Italy, you'll start puke. Because of the style of the restaurant. Yes. I mean, the food is the most important thing. The look is usually pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, how many restaurants in Italy actually have a logo? Um, like no. two? Yeah, no, no exactly. Yeah. And if they do, you it, shy it away be from suspicious. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's mainly just a street address and <laughs> right. yes. or a guy outside and, hailing you. I mean, lighting in restaurants in Italy is usually fluorescent. Yeah. Yes. Not and, very And sexy. always bad art on the walls. Of course. Right. right. So, from their friend, the painter, the so what is different about American restaurants and logos and graphic design from the rest of the world? 
Well, I once met uh, someone in Paris who asked me what I did for a living, a, a Parisian, and when I tried to explain it, he couldn't understand because they, you know, same thing in, in Paris. They, you know, th- th- there's never such thing really as a logo. It's just, you know, La Coupole, any of those restaurants, you just, uh, you just picture that beautiful script neon, which the neon sign maker made. So it's, it's just sort of, um, it's just inherent. It's not, it's not a self-conscious uh, act of design over there. But here, because it's, it's all newer. We had to, you know, we have to use graphic design to express what um, what the restaurant stands for. And I think, you know, we were talking about in 86 when you first started doing your, your first restaurant, Douglas, and that period, I think, was a very exciting time because that was when the public really started to pay attention to uh, both graphic design and interior design for restaurants. And they were finally starting to to notice it and even pay some money sometimes. Some. <laughs> sometimes. Very little. More to the interior designers, I guess. Yes. But also, in the United States, we're obviously much more obsessed with going to the new places than they are in Paris. Like, in Paris, you go to the places that have been there the longest, and here you go to the places that have been here the yes. least amount of time. So, obviously, to false, keep that whole engine going, you rely on you know people like us to make things look new and hip and you know enticing. But at the same Not time... Not to say that we're pulling the wool over people's eyes, yeah. but... But, I mean, at the same time, both with McNally's uh, restaurants and Batali's also, you know, huge empire, there has to be consistency, and it can't just be, you know, a fleeting thing. It has to, you know, look archival and that it's been there for a while and will be there for a long, long time. Um, but obviously a, a celebrity chef-driven empire is, is slightly different than a non because, you know, Mario's the best logo for all of his restaurants. I mean, he, mm. he supersedes anything that anyone else can add to that. Mario and Joe, obviously. Yeah. But... Um, People that don't have that cachet have to rely on other, you know. So rather than just dealing with a singular entity, how do you approach Mario's new restaurants, new books? What is that kind of a consistency that, you know, you adhere to his logo or to his graphic design? I think that, you know, with he has a a, a creative director that I've worked with for years. Her name is Lisa Eaton. And um, I sort of feel like he has a... A sort of Italian style that isn't really all that Italian, but it sort of melds a fictitious version of Italian with his larger-than-life, very bold, very colorful, very um, spontaneous character. And um, I think that for him, he's not like Keith McNally, who tries to do different things. Every one of his restaurants is, is Keith's, I think. I might be wrong, Matteo. Um, is, is much more sp- different uh related to different places or times or cuisines. Mario's is, is reinventions of a theme, so I think that his design stuff is all, you know, reinventing and trying to just keep it new for us. Yeah. Does and then any sense at all? Oh no, no, definitely because I I mean it's an interesting segue to talking to Matteo about how do you keep consistency over such varied, you know, uh types of restaurants, cuisine and, you know, approach. You know, we are designers, so at the end I mean there's not much uh, I mean we are the filter. Yeah. I mean, the, the graphic designer is the filter between, you know, the, the the client and the design that comes out. Of course, we have some tastes, some, we made some choices <laughs> then uh, go through us and we, we like to do certain things and therefore the outcome follows our client and try to, of course, to, to stay as close to the client's brief. But then, of course... It goes through us. Yeah, you, you get a brief. 
sometimes. I've never gotten a brief. <laughs> he's, briefly, he's gotten briefs. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, that that parlays into the idea of control. How much do you have? Um, Zero. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> you said none or none. Well, I find this. I try to stay with smaller clients because I find the the bigger the client, the, the less creative control you have. I mean, that's pretty obvious, I guess. But um, I'd much rather work with a small client, even if uh, it means a lot less money. But at least we usually see eye to eye, and 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 I also get a lot of satisfaction in watching a, a small company grow and succeed, and hope that it, maybe it had something yeah. to do with the design. I mean, what what a you know, examples of small companies that you've worked with in the past that you've seen bloom, that you started, uh, you know, their logo, their branding, and now they're just international. Well, I guess late July, I did the original packaging for late July, and what you see in the store now is actually not done by us, but the original packaging was completely hand-lettered, including the net weight, which is the way I like to do things. Yeah. And, and the, the, but then we had, an, uh, the client and I had an amicable divorce because she wanted it to be more commercial, and now it's not all hand-lettered, you can they tell. have new great typefaces that you can find in really in the best uh, supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, indeed. <laughs> they shout on demand. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, they have a lot of drop shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about type then. I mean, obviously, that is, would you say, one of the major parts of most logos, most graphic design, um, if not the ultimate, you know tool that you guys can convey with um how has type changed over the last 20 years in new york and influenced the food industry whoa yeah big way i should have emailed that well actually (laughs) well one thing i can say about type and this is more text type but it still is important um because of what we were talking about before with uh, you know what was happening in the in the mid 80s and restaurants were really changing and i think another big change that happened then was that um, the menu, the actual physical menu, which up until then had a lot of constraints, you know, it, 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 both in terms of content and design. There wasn't a lot you could do with the menu because you had to send it out to the typesetter to have a typeset, and then you had to send it to the printer. So, of course, you couldn't change the menu yeah. ever, hardly. And, and now with, uh, you know, seasonal farm-to-table, they change it. Every day, if not every exactly. hour. Except yes. you can't actually design it because the manager has to make the changes. And yeah. they obviously right. didn't do four years of design school yeah. for, to their benefit. So, so when are um, re- restaurants going to start having in-house graphic designers? Um, well. <laughs> actually, there's one of my client who used to be a graphic designer. They got and, out. And it's, no, it's fantastic because <laughs> it's and brasserie. And we did the design um for this friend of mine who was the owner and she married the graphic designer who became her partner and he redesigned I mean he took the, our design and he made it way better <laughs> <laughs> and it's the only time it ever happened That's to amazing. us yeah. because as a graphic designer when you work for, for a restaurant what you end up doing usually is you handle them a, a, a file which is a template with all the the, the last menu that they gave us, that they have ready, and then they change the type and the prices themselves. And usually, it's never a graphic designer. Sometimes I receive phone calls from the managers asking me, "How do you turn on the computer?" Uh, <laughs> usually, same button that you use to turn it exactly. off, right? Yeah. Yeah. But we so. have a client. The the person that does the menus at Mozza LA 
uh, has this obsession, which is a, the biggest typographic no-no in the world, where they start with the longest entree and they the last line is the shortest entree. So it's a perfect <laughs> inverted triangle every oh, time. That's a but dream. Like you yeah. couldn't do it that perfectly if you tried. And <laughs> as a typographer, you just cringe when you see that. But that's the way they love it, which is kind of fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Is that because of attention span, possibly? No, I think <laughs> he just finds it really cool that he is able to oh, make yeah. an, uh, like an hourglass or yeah. like that's, a triangle. That's admirable. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the pizzeria mozza symbol too. I mean, looks sort of like a triangle pizza slice. Sort of, going yes. Down. But I, I don't. I, would, I maybe he was thinking about that, or she. I don't know. I'm yeah. not sure who does it, but I don't think it goes that far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, um, Louise, I kind of cut you off before when you were talking about uh, the industrial changes over the last couple of years, from you know having to deal with typesetters now to you know turning on a printer and it's Wi-Fi and it could be in the building next door and print it out and go. Right. No, it's made a huge difference in menus because, and that, and when it started to happen in the mid eighties, it, it was coinciding with, with all the seasonal ingredient rage. So that was, it was perfect. Um, but except for what we've said here about, about uh, a file being a dangerous thing in the hands of a, of a chef or a manager. But do you do your files in InDesign? Of course. Oh, of now course. we're going to really bore yeah. them to death. No, no, no. Yeah. It's not what version do you use? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what plugins do you no, have? Actually, for, for, for Shielders, which is a, a restaurant in the Lower East Side that needed to have a f- kind of a casual feeling, um, we thought about doing a um, handwritten uh, menu. But because of the reason that people keeps changing, I mean, personnel keeps changing, it's never the same person who's making the menu, it would have been a big problem. Also because it's this was, this is a Keith McNally restaurant. They have this habit of changing their menu every day. Yeah. So <clears throat> because I'm a nerd, I uh, created a typeface that mimics scripts so that everybody would be able to, to use it uh, freely, uh, you know, from the Metri D to the busboy. And uh, because I'm a uber nerd i realized that you know if you create a typeface that mimics scripts when you have two letters next to each other let's say matteo my name that has two t's the second t looks exactly like the first one and then it doesn't look it looks start looking like if it's made with a computer so uh, we created a, a, a font that has variations of each letter and when you type you never have the same letter uh, repeated more than once so it's pretty nerdy. And yeah. do they still use that menu? Yeah, apparently, yes. Oh. I don't know. I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. I, I have mean, kids now. <laughs> I don't go out. <laughs> I mean, uh, um, first of all, whose handwriting did you base that off of? Did you get a check from Keith and uh, no, say, was, I'm going to try old, to forge it? It was, a, it was yeah. an, old, uh, an old menu from, from Rome. Yeah. And it was supposed to look like ballpoint pen. It, right? was, it was really yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Really horrendous handwriting, but fantastic at the same time. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about inspiration, too, of some of your clients. Where has the logo, the type, the branding, where has it come from, aside from just meeting? Oh, genius. Yeah. <laughs> just in, it's just innate. It just exudes. Um, but, I mean, ha- have there been instances where you've taken one even food experience and then brought it back into a restaurant to help them design? Usually we design before the restaurant is open. Yeah. yeah. So it's very yeah. deep. You sometimes you know they're opening the restaurant and they don't even have the finished menu. Yeah. The day before. Or the name. Or the name. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, so I mean, you don't get to go in and experience it. You don't get to mm-hmm. eat their food. You have to 
design before. For yeah, sometimes delicious. you know you go to some ta- tasting that they do, but it usually happens way after we started. Yeah, working. and I don't think this is an industry that that has the foresight that that maybe others do that actually sort of sends you their whole food and wine brief yeah. and experience yeah. and you know it, it doesn't seem like at least in my personal experience that it it follows the, that logical path yeah do, do you hope that it becomes that do you hope that there's I don't a, think it ever will yeah you know I think cooking is much too sort of spontaneous or maybe I'm totally wrong but I, I think that's sort of what's nice about the restaurant industry is that it, it changes from day to day you could get a case of whatever ramps in one day and all of a sudden your whole menu is ramp based yeah i mean does that happen to you do you get a whole case of you uh, we know, don't have to deal with the fact that they're changing times new roman in no. one day and no. then everything's times new <laughs> roman for the rest of the week not really yeah that's a good idea yeah it's true <laughs> okay right there, yeah <laughs> so we're gonna take a quick break uh come back um maybe even you know point out mateo's genius about if you can't hire him marry him <laughs> um <laughs> But talk a little bit more about the restaurant industry uh, and how type, how graphic design may drive your taste buds more than you think. You're listening to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. back you're listening to the food scene on heritage radio network i'm your host michael harlan turkel here with mateo bologna of luca design uh, douglas riccardi of memo and uh louis feely of louis feely <laughs> ltd yeah ltd and, and memo is memo-ny.com yes memo production, memo production. and muka is there a muka.com yeah it's just muka.com muka design.com yeah it's muka design he's he's yeah. he, Rolled in here with all his URLs, you know. Um, and Muka it, means cow, so probably it's related to food. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. End of show. Headphones off. <laughs> um, during the break, Douglas actually uh, was talking about blackboards. Uh, we had just initially been talking about Schiller's and Matteo developing a script uh, that looked like real script and no two letters were the same when there was repeating, you know, consonants, vowels. But uh, Douglas, tell us a little about, about Florence guy, Harry. Well, actually, Harry didn't do the blackboards. He did the daily special. The daily menus. specials. We yeah. had another whole crew that did the the nightly overnight blackboards, led by uh, Tom Eubanks, and actually they had three menus. Uh, sorry, those push letter things. What do you call those? Felt boards. Yeah. Um, that they used to change every night, and uh, it 
was actually started as a way to keep the overnight staff occupied because they had so <laughs> much time on their hands between like 3 and 4 a.m. Um, and that sort of became part of the big branding of the restaurant. We had a font a person make, make turn it into a font for us, sort of like the Schillers, that we then used for 90% of the stuff that we did for Florent. Yeah. And um, wh- what was Harry's role? In- Harry was the day manager. Yeah. And um, Douglas was just saying, too, that Harry uh, was, what, a cave? <laughs> cave queen yeah. was his was <laughs> self-imposed title. But actually, I was saying that he had such fantastically lack a fantastic lack of computer skills that when he did the daily specials, it had more personality than anything I could ever do because he just sort of bolded wherever he wanted, tracked out wherever he wanted. Certain things were bigger, certain things were flesh right. And it was an absolute, um, it was a sort of pe- a wonderful piece of typography, totally, yeah. you know, done without a designer's. A, a collector's item. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, also mentioning Karen Waltuck um, at Chanterelle, where Schiller's is supposed to replicate the idea of someone writing that every day. Karen Waltuck would write her own menu for 20 plus years every handwritten day. every single day and it was a thing of beauty to kind of watch and uh, it reminded me of one time having been in is it uh masa restaurant I, I didn't get to eat there i got to photograph masa once while he wrote out the day's menu and after he was done he showed it to his assistant who typed it up on the computer was given back the piece of paper which was in beautiful script and just destroyed it you know kind of like a salmon dollar just wash it away um have has technology has illustrator have computers changed the way that you guys design i think um luis will answer to this uh, question no mateo's being cruel i don't use a computer that's what yeah no you use it well i for email yeah, yeah. For email, i got it. i got yes. an email <laughs> I, uh, yes, I'm uh, very old world. I, I still design logos the way I've always designed them. I sit down with a tracing pad and I just, oh my God. I just write. <laughs> yes. so Have you ever heard envious. of a tracing pad? No, not, not, not I, at all. And I do the same, it's the same process I did when I used to do book covers. I would just sort of write the, the title of the book over and over again and it would just sort of, I just would just let it speak to me and it would turn into a logo basically. And that's, so that's why I do logos the same way. And then once I, I get to that point, then I have to f- figure out how to make that um, in, into an actual logo. And that's when I talk to my staff and direct them to do it. But it's, it's, um, it's never an existing font, of course, because that wouldn't be a logo. That's the number one rule of logos is that you don't just set a word in a font. Oh, boy. Don't you? Really? Well, that's what I tell my students. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the rule on this side of the room. Exactly. Sometimes, yeah. If it's, um, depending on the restaurant. Yeah, do you guys have rules, mantras on what you know constitutes a logo? If you can it's, sell it, if you fee, can sell it's it, the fee. exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, if it's about the fee, yeah, never go below a certain amount. Yeah, of dollars. <laughs> Going back to Luis, um, and actually drawing again from Schiller's, the Mermaid Inn logo seems you know very handmade, very you know hand drawn, and doesn't you know edge on hard edges doesn't edge on you know right. something that's monumentally aesthetic necessarily mm-hmm. um what was the concept behind that are we well, showing this slide right now what people are, are we googling slide? they're googling yeah. Yeah, 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 mermaid yeah, in nyc <laughs> yeah google google um well jimmy bradley and danny abrams were the owners of, of this restaurant when they came to me to, to talk to me about it they they gave me the best direction ever. They just said, we're, we're opening this, this restaurant. We want it to feel like a little seafood shack that you would just stumble across 
while you're walking along the beach, except you happen to be in the East Village. So that was it. That told me what to do. I, I wanted something, you know, that, that had a certain funkiness to it, but still uh, had some style. And, um, you know, we started with the image. I hired an illustrator, Anthony Russo, to do the um, the mermaid. And um, and I always feel very strongly that, that when you have an image with a logo, that the... the the type in the image should be integrated because it makes it much stronger. She's all than, full of rules. <laughs> I do. That's rule number two. <laughs> Watch out if you're working for me. Exactly. Yeah. No wonder no one lasts very long working for me. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and then for the check presenter, we, 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 you know, we wanted the whole concept to, to just be a little bit unusual. So I wanted to do something very unusual for the check presenter. So uh, we ended up doing a, a sardine can that I personally had to um, empty out and and scrub so to get rid of the, the fishy smell. <laughs> but the clients were still a little worried about the, that their customers may cut themselves on the, on the sharp edges. So I personally painted the edges of every single can with wow. with uh, clear nail polish. So, I mean, this brings us from 2D to 3D. Um, mm-hmm. like, the majority of what I always thought graphic design to be was, you know, on a computer, on a menu, uh, in a cookbook, how often do you guys venture into the fabrication of certain things? Or how often are you involved in even dealing with an interior designers initially? Well, we, we actually still make things like menu covers. <laughs> yeah. like you have to deal with the bindery that's making the leather that then you stamp and then you fit the things in. There are certain elements that are non just 2D. Yeah, And then there's menu boards in any place like Brooklyn Fair or Schnippers or any sort of more takeout oriented or quick service restaurant there's a whole other host of in-store collateral pieces just to sort of communicate what you're selling to people yeah so yes or signs or, yeah mean, exactly signs yes. i mean they're very important big sculptures sometimes mm-hmm. like in shillers oh yeah shillers are like beautiful yeah humongous piece of type so actually we did uh, for for a hotel the chelsea uh, hotel in um, atlantic city the biggest type we ever made is like one letter was like two feet. It was on top of this uh, skyscraper. It's fantastic. The biggest type ever designed and produced. That's with, awesome. With Too neon. <laughs> with neon. Yeah. I, aside from neon, I mean, how do you liaise that fabrication? I mean, what materials are being used and how do you make sure your vision is executed the way you want it to be executed? You, sp- you deal with the vendor. I mean, you do research of materials. You deal with the vendor. You you look at options. Uh, you discuss with the client, uh, and, uh, and, and then you, you also, cross your fingers. Yeah, and you also yeah. liaise with the architect. Yes, and also in New yes. York is pretty strict about you know regulations on every every street has a there's a big book somewhere of like what you're allowed to make on every single street. Um, so oftentimes you don't even have much choice where you have to use Times Roman on the sign because the building standard is Times Roman or you know you have a beautiful script and all of a sudden they're telling you you got to set it in Times Roman. There are these weird external constraints. Oh yeah. yeah. And you can only put up a banner if the pole is already there and all kinds of awnings are a whole other, you know, Michigas. Yeah, because you need to use a cer- only a certain color. For instance, we had a, we had a brand that was the colors were like uh, purple and uh, and green and you know and gray. Sorry, and we had to use maroon. Green, probably. no green and uh, maroon. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to use uh, green awnings. Yeah. 
Yeah, and when we worked on Metrazur in Grand Central Terminal, that was a real uh, signage challenge because basically everything I proposed, they turned down, and finally they told me that you really can't adhere anything to anything in Grand Central Terminal, which is challenging when you're trying to put up a sign. <laughs> so I suggested a hologram, but that didn't fly either. So, so finally uh, they just sneaked a sign in one night and nobody said anything. It's still there. Yeah. 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 And even, you know, Schnippers had really strict EDC environment, what's it called? Uh, Empire State Development Corporation um, standards for Times Square, and they actually ended up doing probably 10 times more signage than they ever would have because the neighborhood is trying to oversign things to bring the neighborhood up, apparently. Interesting. So, I mean, let's talk about a, a restaurant that has one location, then expands into a larger franchise. How do you translate that to a new location? I mean, how do the two Schnipper locations in New York, or there are more than two, right? There's one in the works, yeah. but there isn't one yet. Yeah. So I can't talk to Schnippers. Okay. <laughs> let's talk Hale about and Hardy. Hale and Hardy. That's How do they differ uh, per location? Um, I think that for the first few, it's an evolution. And then it sort of gels in, it coalesces into the sort of rollout package. Um, you know, the first Schnipper, the first Helen Hardy was, was an entity. And then they hired an architect, Wayne Tourette, and myself to redo their interior design and their branding. And um, from there, you know, we sort of used the next couple to refine things like the menu boards, even the way the menu boards were fabricated to get them to be you know, more cost effective. But after the fourth or fifth one, it sort of does become a thing where we're hardly even involved. Um, they can open a new Hale and Hardy without, you know, calling us because the whole thing is between the signage vendor and the uh, the printers. They can kind of do the whole thing themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, when that happens, how do you, like a chef, watch for consistency or watch for, you know, continuity of your you know, initial idea? Some clients see us as the gardens the guardians of their continuity some clients would rather that we didn't chime in from time to time and there's um there's a whole host of you know that there's a big spectrum between that so sometimes you call up and say i saw the new store and it's just you know i hate what you did and they appreciate <laughs> it or other times they're you know they just kind of yeah they take it to heart so i mean do you have favorites do you have ideal clients that you want to work with Let, let's not pick favorites let's say new uh, restaurants or new food ideas that you're hoping to garner as uh, new work. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. This is, pitch yourself. This Go is for it. Yeah. Well, I, I was telling Douglas when we were coming here today that I've always wanted to redesign Garden of Eden because I, I go there almost every day and the logo is so disgusting and the color is terrible. It's blue, which you know we all know is not a food color. There's another rule for you, but yeah. I think you'll all agree. Well, what about blueberries? Or blue raspberry, which isn't they're, even a flavor. They're weird. Yeah. They're not food. <laughs> um, and I actually, and I, I never do this, I actually uh, got the name of the owner and I sent him an email from the heart and I just explained, you know, why I think he needs a better identity because his identity doesn't really measure up to the quality of, of the store. And I sent a PDF with a lot of before and after examples, which usually helps convince clients. And he wrote me back right away, um, and then it sort of went nowhere after that. Yeah, uh-huh. which is what usually happens. So I mean, yeah. let's let's push that to the topic of best and worst logos. And you don't have to name your own, but <laughs> around the city, Schiller's is horrible. Yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, uh, that double L just irks okay, me every time. I think Louise can say something about the Balthazar logo. Oh. I wish I had a dime for every time someone asked me if I designed it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, the problems with that logo. 
Oh, the problem. No, I, I don't see any problems with it. Uh, no, the, not at you all. You know, because I'm a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the stuff that only nerd sees. There's a the distance between the L and the T, which is called kerning. <laughs> yeah. It's too tight. Oh, yeah, I've always kind of been irked by that, too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But he's learned... I'm the angry man that walks by. Can't you send him new artwork, Shaking though? my fist. Say, Buy 100,000 new cups right. and yeah, print. Right. You know. yeah. But you've learned, and now you get well paid for your kerning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now I'm a kerner. Yeah. <laughs> kerning nerd. Um, so, what are some of your favorite logos around the city, or some logos that you walk by and just feel like are horrendous, but maybe, you know, stores, restaurants that are kicking butt uh, usually are the logos I mean I, do, I don't think there's any wrong logo um, maybe the logo could look bad or could look good it's it depends on how it resonates to the customer and uh, uh, Douglas is doing something behind my back I don't know he's <laughs> 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 writing something on a piece of paper and they are all laughing looking at me I don't know what no no, no no it's not no, about you <laughs> okay that's good his flies open <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think it, you know sometimes logos I mean the logo is not the identity of the restaurant the logo is just the pinnacle is the, the, the thing that people eventually can remember but what you actually remember is the service the food the ambiance the menu maybe the the type on the menu if it's legible or not it's it's an ensemble of elements that are giving but don't you think because it's the first thing you see it, it it's either an enticing or it's off-putting mm, yeah it's it's not just that because there's also a facade is attached to a facade or maybe it's attached it's on it's, it's on a beautiful matchbox you never know when you see the logo first. Maybe you see it on a bag. True. So it, it, the, the logo lives in a context always. It's never by mm. itself. And uh, I always, I kind of don't believe in logos. I, uh, <laughs> I don't believe in logo as, as, the, as, the, as the vehicle of communicating the, br the mm. brand. The brand is an ensemble. It's like an orchestra. And you listen to music from the orchestra, not just from the conductors. Uh, name yeah i agree I, I a lot of clients come to me with terrible names for restaurants and you know they're 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 just not well thought out and usually they, they just want to come up with a name in a big hurry and they come up with some kind of default name and they think that oh we'll just hand it over to the designer and that'll make it look good that'll, <laughs> that'll make it work you know but you know, and I feel that ninety percent of my job, most of the time, is uh, is trying to make an unpronounceable name look pronounceable. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think worse than a bad logo is what often happens where you meet with someone and they, you give them a proposal that takes you a lot of time to write. And then they say thank you and never call you back. And then they just pick copper plate. It's usually copper plate <laughs> that then they put on the window in vinyl or yes. gold leaf and they call it a logo. Um, that irks me more than actually someone who designs a bad logo, which is just looking through a type book or calling the sign guy and asking them just to put a name up. Or trying uh, to copy one of our logos. Or, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, there's a, um, for um, a lot of restaurants that we did with Kit McNally, sometimes we ended up designing proposals for names that never happened. Yeah. So... Such as what? I don't know. I think Schiller's uh, before was called Kaminsky. Oh. And then uh, it was called 
for one day, thank God, because they changed the, the, the name the day after, alcohol, with a K. <laughs> and, uh, um, and thank God they changed their mind right after, and they, they, cha- they called it Schiller's Liquor Bar. And I worked on, you know, we work on, we work hard to make a logo look good based on the letters that they give you to the, the name of the place. And uh, so when we did Morandi, because I had this experience with Schiller's, I said to, to the client that I wouldn't design the logo. I would just design a typeface. And then, however the name of the logo is, because, of course, we start... And now it's called Morandi, but there were yeah. like 10 names before. And I said, okay, I'm not going to design it. I'm just going to design a typeface that is yours. It's, it's like unique. And however you want to change the name, it's going to be used by typing this custom typeface. Which is true, because I, I know Louise would agree that you do often, more often than you'd think, someone says, I love the logo that you presented. It's just that we're now going to change the name. As if you can just swap out one name for the next yeah. and it doesn't change anything in their mind. It's just a matter of, you know, so I think you did solve that problem once and for all. Yeah, I mean, how often are you making just custom typefaces now and letting other, you know, uh, people design the logo? Um, <laughs> usually we design custom typefaces for our clients and we design and we use Sometimes we use this typeface for the logo. And sometimes we realize the typeface doesn't work for the logo. So we wasted a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually have no expertise in custom typefaces. So we customize typefaces. I know that breaks Louise's first law of logo <laughs> design. Um, no, that's okay. Th- is well, that okay? Do something to okay. it. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Um, what, what's, what's kind of interesting is that, you know, uh, it's all type. It's not much image that we've spoken of so far. Mm-hmm. Is there ever image forward, type second, when you guys design? I don't like images. Yeah. <laughs> I hate photographers. Yeah, oh. me too. Me oh, too. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm a radio host. <laughs> yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> well, sometimes I think an image might be necessary uh, when it's a, a difficult name or an unpronounceable name to give, to give people a, a little visual mnemonic. Like when we did Pichelin years ago, it actually started out being purely typographic. And, but that name was a problem. People couldn't pronounce it. They couldn't remember it. They couldn't spell it. And this was pre-Google. So, you know, the, the only chance was to try to call directory assistance and, you know, try to get a semblance of that name. So the original logo was just the type in a, uh, a lozenge shape in, in olive green. So maybe it might reflect an olive, maybe. Because Pichelin is a type of uh, Thank you very yes, much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and after I designed the logo, I found a jar of them in the back of my refrigerator. I didn't even realize it. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, but then after they got their third star and they wanted to upgrade everything, uh, we added a, an olive branch to it just to help people along a little bit more. So sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. But the majority are still type. And well, if you think of restaurant branding as a subset of the big world of branding. I mean, the big world of branding seems to rely more on non-typographic logos, whereas restaurants sort of never do that. Yeah. Maybe Starbucks, maybe the mermaid weirdness is more important than the actual type, but I'm not even so sure. So would you ever do like uh, in structure art or like a picture art menu or logo where people can just point to the dishes and point to the elements of dishes? I to, love that idea. Yeah, yeah. Ten percent, right here. <laughs> why not? Yeah, if yeah. it works, if it serves the, pur- the purpose, why not? Yeah. Yes. 
But let's let's end the show with what do we want to eliminate um, as far as having clients bring to you information for graphic design. I'm hearing one really hard to pronounce uh, and absurd names. Are there specific yes. elements? Are there like Zs or double Ks or, you know, is, is there combinations of letters or ways things are spelled out that you think should not be a part of graphic design or typefaces kind of like a uh, copper plate? Definitely copper plate. Yeah. Needs to be. <laughs> was that Polinos? Uh, no, I don't know. No, I thought Polinos was copper plate. I uh, no, I think it's Arial. Oh. <laughs> oh, now that's class. Yes. yes <laughs> very class. Um, now, there's something that kind of puzzles me, and I have a lot of Italian uh, restaurateurs, uh, clients, and they always want to name, put the names in the menus in Italian, the name of the products of the... Uh, the dishes in Italian and and sometimes with Italian description and I'm like yeah I mean we are in America <laughs> <laughs> and they don't get it they think it's cool I, I don't know I understand maybe it's a question I have to ask you I mean how do you feel when you see this these menus well I can read them but I remember at Peasant they used to have this huge menu it was like 11 by 17 it's really small type and it was all in Italian. And then the waiter would have to come and translate the entire thing <laughs> standing there. Yeah. And then, of course, by the time he got to the bottom, everybody forgot what he said at, at the beginning. So uh, I think it's bilingual now. I like seeing it in Italian. I, there's one restaurant, Enoteca, where they bring you a glossary, which I think is maybe a little precious. But What I hate is when the servers can't pronounce the things that are on the menu oh, in a different yes. language. That just yes. is the absolute worst. Yeah. They Gnucci. should all be fire. Yeah. <laughs> and they say it with such authority, too. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate all this insight. Um, I'm telling you, this is the Mount Rushmore of graphic design right here. Matteo Bologna of uh, MUCA. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Douglas Riccardi of Memo. Thank you. Luis Feely of Luis Feely LTD. And um, we also have Franz Huber here. Just a shout out to him for introducing initially to Douglas and the idea of this show. But uh, if you guys are ever going to open up a restaurant, make sure to talk to these. Call Douglas. (laughs) Call Mateo. He'll give you everybody else's number. 10% off of his fee. (laughs) You've been listening to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in. Tuesdays, 3 p.m. Shout out to Jack Inslee for producing, Nat Wiener for engineer, and Fairway for sponsoring. Hope to have you back here again next week. Cheers. Cheers.